well, folks, thanks for joining me for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. If you don't know what Rec Poker is, we're a vibrant and encouraging poker learning community. If you want to come join for free, you can go to rec.poker and you'll find folks like yourself that want to learn together, play together, celebrate each other's victories. Come on over to Rec Poker and find your rail. Um, I'm your host, Jim Reed. I'm uh, happy to be here, blusterini in the home game. I've got the luckiest job in the world, so I get to chat every week with this panel of recreational poker wizards, um, and we get to do it because of the support of places like Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. So every week, uh, we're here talking about a hand from the Rec Poker Forums. Um, every week, we're trying to steal each other's chips in the nightly Poker, uh, Poker Stars free play money home game where we play together and learn together. And uh, every week I'm joined by this panel of Wrecking Crew members. Uh, so members, you know how to do it. First name alphabetical. Introduce yourselves to Rec Poker Nation and tell the folks where they can find you. I am Chris Jones, 5x5 five five, or 5b5 five five on Twitter and 5x5555 five 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 in the Poker Stars home game. So confusing. I know. And I'm John Somsky. I like to keep things simple. I'm just Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm uh, Kim Kilroy. I am Pat Bat or Pat Bat 33 in most places, but in the Poker Stars home games, I'm Prairie 56. I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman 50 everywhere. Kind of like John, I like to keep it simple. <laughs> I like to keep people guessing. So this is Taylor Moss uh, in the rec poker home game on gopher boy tjm and on twitter you can find me at at taylor underscore moss and like like any good poker player the part of the goal is to keep you guessing so that's perfectly on point for our man taylor over there and yeah i'm your host jim reed uh bluff Starini in the home game and if you want to find out about me you can go to rec.poker slash crew and uh, you can learn about me and all the other great members on the wrecking crew uh most of whom know a lot more about poker than i do they just give me the mic to get things started so Let's get things started, gang. We're taking a post from the Rec.Poker forums, which are free to join. This one's by the real Jim, Gibber3. And Gibber, if you're out there, I hope you're doing well, the real Jim. Um, I'll probably see you tomorrow night in our Tuesday night OPA. Uh, one, of the, one of the premium members I got to meet when I was down in Las Vegas. We had a great old time. So Jim writes in, I'm curious to hear opinions on the following situation. This is a post about pre-flop action consideration in a satellite situation. So I'll just set up the hand here and we'll set it over to the wizards to see what people think. So we're playing a day one type of tournament, which has a time limit and the top 20 will move on to the finals. This is the first of three day ones. So if we bust, we have two more shots at day two. So you can re-enter on different flights. There's just over one hour left. So this is a timed format, which is a little different than uh, some of the more conventional satellite or flight tournaments. Hero has 51,000 and is currently in the top 15 in chips. Blinds are 1K, 2K, no antes. And I'll just go over a few starting stacks at the table. So the small blind has 20K, the big blind 40, under the gun 9. The hero is under the gun plus 1, holding pocket jacks. Middle position 10K, hijack 10K. Cutoff, 34, and button, 80. So just looking at the table, the button has a huge chip lead at 80,000. Then the big blind and the cutoff are both between 34 and 40. And everyone else has uh, less than 20, except for the hero, who is the 
second uh, chip leader at the table. They've got 51,000 behind the button at 80. Jim says, for the first, for the most part, the table has been mostly tight with only the big blind and the cutoff slightly more active. So the under the gun player open shoves. They've got 9,000 chips. We've got 51,000. Uh, we're covered by the button and we've got pocket jacks. What are everyone's opinions on Hero's optimal move? And uh, there are some questions we'll answer here. Uh, Kim actually posts right in the forum. Is day two in the money? How many players are left? How fast is the structure? Do we play down to 20 or is it just the top 20 stacks that move forward at the end of the time? Um, And then Kim says, and I'll, I'll leave it to you to take it from here, Kim. In a true satellite where all prizes are equal, Jack Jack's an easy fold here. But if day two is a continuation of day one, then we have other options to discuss. And I think that's a great takeoff point here because the question is really what kind of stack do we need to proceed in the tournament? And if it is a straight satellite, then first place and 20th place all win the same prize. But if the number of uh, chips in your stack matter, you're going to make different strategic adjustments. So Kim, what, what would that lead you to start considering in this position? Uh, well, well, he did answer my questions um, in the next posting because we have 25 big blinds and we're facing an under the gun shot for four and a half big blinds. So in a satellite situation, I mean, this is an easy fold because we're just waiting for people to bust so we can get to the prize. Uh, however, when he answered, when he answered my questions, this isn't actually a satellite at all. This is just a tournament where the format of the tournament is that on every day one, the top 20 stacks move through. So it doesn't really matter where you are. It's just a continuation of the next level of the tournament. You move your stack through to the next level and you're not in the money and you're nowhere close to the money. So it's just it's just a more of a chippy V kind of situation, not an ICM situation at all, which makes a difference. So it means we play pocket jacks as an under the gun plus one in a 25 as a 25 big blind stack. And that's really much what we should be looking at. It's it's not, I don't think it's super relevant that uh, we're in the top 15 of, of chips at this moment, because that's gonna change a lot by the time we get uh, anywhere close to the money. So I think that we have to look at what's the best way to play pocket jacks under the gun plus one facing uh, with 25 big blinds when we're facing a four and a half big blind shove from the end of the gun. So that's where we are. Wouldn't you say too that the, this, it's less like a satellite situation and more like a normal tournament especially if you're not close to that 20. I mean, right now he says he's in 15th place. Obviously, if you're way below 20th place, then it there are some considerations that are going to change the way you play. You have to play more aggressively, maybe even recklessly to make sure you're in the top 20. But other than that, this is probably closer to a normal tournament than to a satellite from my perspective do you agree or disagree it, uh, absolutely 
And that's what, that's what I'm saying. It's not really like a satellite at all because he says like when day two starts with all the day ones combined, there's going to be between 85 and a hundred players and only 25 make the money. So we're nowhere close to the money, even getting into day two. So if we want to get into day two, we want to get into day two with a stack. So that's how we should be playing in this spot. Yeah. And in Jim's uh, to, to provide perfect clarity of context here, uh, Jim does say satellite in quotation marks in the uh, title of the post. So he is aware that it's kind of like a, a non-typical situation. It really is a flight um, more than a satellite, but there is that sense of kind of having to be in that group of 20 to move on, um, which, which is, is just a different format. Chris, did you have something there? Well, and I, I would just sort of say the other thing about, um, I think there's a, there's a, um, a, a, weird psychology that can sometimes happen in that last level or that last period before day one into a day two, uh, especially when uh, sometimes day twos meet are the money bubble, right? And that's a different dynamic. And then we do want to play like we're playing into the bubble and we want to play more careful. And then, then these jacks get a little bit more wonky uh, if, if the day two is the actual money bubble, but uh, here we're just playing these like, like, we normally would. And we want to play this. If this tournament was going to go on for another five hours, or if it's just going to continue the next day in 10 minutes, we want to play these jacks the exact same way, really, because this, this day two distinction really doesn't matter at all. Right. Uh, we're just in a point of the tournament where we have to make a decision. What do I do with jacks right now? Uh, given, given this, you know, the, the decisions or the things that have happened. So um, I think that's a big thing. And I, I think trying to like, um, make sure that we don't pay too much attention to that is a really good, good starting point. And Chris, is there a way while you're playing in real time that you kind of have that angel on your shoulder telling you, you know, you don't have to worry about ICM here as much, or you do have to worry about ICM here, or, you know, you can, you can buy into another flight, like uh, in a format like this, that's not perfectly typical. Um, uh, what are you thinking about that sort of this? I'm not asking this very well, but like, how do you prepare yourself to make decisions with the right factors at play uh, in that kind of a spot? I mean, I, you know, I don't know if there's a tournament clock here. If you're, you know, if you're playing online, obviously you can see how many people are, are left. If, 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 if you have a tournament clock and it's, you know, there's usually reasonably accurate to how many people are sort of available uh, to sort of, uh, left in the tournament before we get to to a money bubble, you should be c- keeping an eye on that. Uh, that's going to really guide you in terms of like how close are we getting to making different kinds of decisions than we would in sort of the more uh, the accumulation phase of a tournament where we're just really more focused on chip EV. Um, and in, unless we're unless we're in one of those spots, um, you know, I kind of have two modes. Uh, you know, I'm either playing to to build a stack or I'm playing to sort of like protect my uh, some of the ICM implications to protect some of my equity and some of my, some of my share of the prize pool. Yeah. And I think, you know, the key that you guys have, have come on to here is that even though it is a tournament where only 20 players proceed at the end of the day, it really isn't an ICM situation. It isn't really a situation where you should be worried about um, preserving your stack any more than you would in a normal tournament structure. 
you should just be trying to uh, use that chip EV to make your decisions here. And so then with 25 big blinds, so we can talk about the actual, given that that's the case, um, when there's a, a small shove in front of us, now, I know there's three ways to play jacks, and they're all wrong. Um, the isolation shove is going to be a popular choice here. Are there any other options that you would consider in a spot like this, a, a call or a smaller raise? Um, I don't think we're folding, obviously, but is, uh, is, there some, is there anything about this dynamic that makes you think there's a, a different course to take, or is it just you've got a good hand, let's isolate with a big pair and, and let the chips fall where they may? Yeah, the fact that it was a shove kind of limits what you're going to do. If it was a normal uh, two big blind open, for instance, you might be able to three bet here without actually shoving all in. But since they've shoved all in um, with four four, you are really limited in what you can do. Um, four big blinds. That means your normal raise would be to ten to twelve, which would be half your stack. So at that point in time, you're really just shoving here. Um, I know that's probably in game. What I would do right here is just shove. Yeah, I think I think I probably would as well. Um, after looking left, of course, because we always want to look left and just see how interested those players with the big stacks are in their hand. You know, every once in a while, you can get a tell uh, that someone is either very interested or not very interested, and depending on their stack size, that might be uh, that might be a relevant a relevant factor. So yeah, then there yeah. there is the option to just like click it back to the the internet term right like we don't have to go like super big even like a min raise to seven big blinds um can like threaten some of our opponents it doesn't have to be properly sized versus that open because they're all in they have no more actions to take now you're sizing it's just to the rest of the opponents so uh right. we we could go seven bigs but to me that's more of like a i'm trying to trap you type of move and when we're under the gun plus one with so many people left to act, do we really want to try and trap with jacks? So like if we're on the button or something, I, I could see maybe like a, a click back type of thing. But um, no, here I, I think just shoving all in is probably the proper play. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are we just raising to induce then? And we're just going to call off anyway. So uh, I think it's better to just shove and get some folds from any hand with an ace king or queen in it that has a significant equity against us so you're saying kim that uh, you'd, you'd rather shove and get hands that have an ace king or a queen to fold rather than calling or making a smaller raise and inviting them to shove over the top because even though we're ahead of their hand it's just they've got outs, they've got equity against us that we'd rather fold out. Well, in the position with jacks, if we, if someone shoves over the top of us, we're calling off anyway. Yes. Right. So we can get hands like King Queen to fold here by shoving ourselves and King Queen has a ton of equity against us. So why not get them to fold pre-flop? And, and, and every once in a while, I feel the tension in, in game because I feel like, but I've got jacks. Don't I want to get, if I'm in EV mode here, don't I want to get it in against a hand like King Queen? Like, shouldn't I be kind of giving them a chance to, even though it means it's another, it's another hand I have to beat and it's going to go multi-way now. Um, 
there's the trade-off there, right? Between having them come over the top with a worse hand than yours, but then also not having to face that over the top from a worse hand than yours. Does anyone else feel that tension from time to time, or is this just a strictly avoided situation? Yeah, Chris. What I would say with, you know, the, there's three ways to play jacks and all of them are wrong, but I think there's, there's a, there's a way to play jacks that's more wrong than others. And that's trying to take jacks into a multi-way pot. Right. Um, like jacks are a really good hand heads up. And they're a god awful hand uh, when you have lots of people in the. And I think if you if you if you think of it that way, that's that's how you justify this shove. We're in early position. There's a ton of players to act behind us, um, and we want to clear out the riffraff uh, and and just collect. You know, try to collect a nice pot from a player who's got a pretty wide range. They're pretty desperate. Um, and uh, we're likely to win. And and also, I think the other thing to add is I think this this post uh, comes out because uh, our our hero I think does shove, and you know I think has revealed uh, that they then lose the pot because somebody wakes up with aces behind them. But I think I would add that I think you're actually in the right game. You made the right decision because not only did you get called by aces, you got called by eights and tens. So <laughs> like. That's pretty great, right? And <laughs> yeah. under the gun head, king four offsuit. So, I mean, we're we're. In, I mean, not every. There's not every time somebody's going to have aces here, and um, I don't know. I, I think I think in this case, there's one right way to play jacks, in my opinion. So we're we're going to hear from uh, the one and only Jonathan Little here for a second, and when we come back, I want to talk just briefly about what we might do with a slightly worse hand or what we might do with a slightly better hand. Uh, so panel, just think about that a little bit here and we'll be right back. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? Hmm. What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Or pocket jacks. Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little and I am a two-time world poker tour champion and creator of pokercoaching.com where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. There you go, folks. You heard it from Jonathan Little. Head over to pokercoaching.com slash recpoker and try out his money-back guarantee. If you don't think it's valuable, send me an email, jim at rec.poker, and I'll go grab him by the collar. You give that premium member their money back, you bastard. Um, but they won't come to that because they do excellent work over there at pokercoaching.com. So uh, we were talking about what we might do with a better hand or a worse hand here. So it sounds like uncontroversially, certainly knowing what we know about the player pool, um, we feel pretty good about our shove here with jacks. What if we had aces or what if we had sevens? Um, how might that, what, what uh, anyone can jump in here. What might, would you take the same action with those hands? Would you take a slightly different action? Uh, and why? It's a race. Kim, you're up. Uh, sevens are fold, I think. Aces are a flat, possibly to trap behind. Yep. Well, I mean, it can be a raise too, but I, yeah, I I'm think trying it's to a find good spot that. to flat. Yeah, I think there must be a hand good enough. Like there must be a flat there somewhere. So it makes sense that aces would uh, would be it. Kings, and then, kings, queens are a race. Yep. 
and maybe there's uh is there so then are you always flatting there only with aces or are there worse hands that you're also flatting i think that nines and tens can be a flat as well okay so so jacks are maybe really eights. that cusp that cusp hand that we're talking about right where you're folding sevens eights through tens are calls jacks. i mean tens i think tens can be a shove as well sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i also think queens can be a shove sometimes i yeah. think ace king we're looking at some of those as well yep um, we're just really looking in these kind of games where people are calling off with things like eights and tens that aces can be an exploitable flat. Yep. That's all. Yep. I think so too. I think so too. And, uh, all right. So is there, is there anything else about the format of this tournament that's interesting or the, how we approach flights, um, or anything like that? I do think it's a, it's a spot here where like jacks are a good hand to be talking about here because it is kind of, no matter how you proceed, it's going to be with a pretty narrow range, right? We're talking about it basically being eights plus ace king, you know, maybe ace queen suited. I didn't hear it mentioned, but um, we're definitely going to be proceeding with a, with a very narrow value heavy range. So there's not going to be a lot of combos in, in any one of our continuing uh, ranges. Rob. I think the, uh, this format really is, you know, we, we say satellite with uh, quotation marks. It really isn't. It's a two-day tournament, basically, with a um, determined stopping point for day one. Now, there are some tournaments that I think all of us are familiar with from running aces where you could actually, if you survive the day, you have a stack. And if you choose to play another day, you get paid for the stack that you have from the previous day. I mean, if you can make two day one, if you survive two day ones, you have a stack that you can um, actually then cash out for. That would be a, a little different scenario. And it might give you ca- uh, pause with those jacks. If you're getting close to that point and you know you're going to play the next day to try to get another stack, you might have a different um, attitude and play it more like a satellite. But in this case, it's just a regular MTT. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I and I know the kind of tournament you're talking about where you can enter on multiple day ones. And if you make it in on day one A, you can still enter on day one B. And if you make it through, then you sometimes you get to choose your larger chip stack that you get to take forward and they buy the other one from you. So I guess in that case, gang, there's a real incentive if you've already made day one A and now you're playing day one B there's really very little incentive to sort of just make it right. Like you, you, in that case, you really want to maximize your chip stack as much as possible to give you the biggest upside between the two. Is that, is that correct? Or, uh, or do you also, is there a lot of value in just getting that stack purchased from you by the. Actually yeah. with the, with running aces, the way it works uh, and anyone here can correct me or add, but I think they're usually about $280 tournaments and the buyback is for twelve hundred. Mm. Okay. So, which is is larger than a min cash, right? Um, generally, about five to ten stacks get bought back f- over the five day ones that they have. Hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I think ultimately like what we're trying to get at with all these questions and what like Kim was trying to reach through her computer screen and shake Gibber to say is like, what ICM pressure are we under? Because <laughs> that's like the core of this question is like, yeah. how much ICM pressure are we under? If it's a satellite, it's a ton of ICM pressure. If it's a normal tournament. It's, you know, less so. And, you know, answering the questions, we kind of figure out it's really not a whole lot of ICM pressure. So then it really like eases up on us and our ability to play jacks. <laughs> Um, and then like we're talking about with these day ones, you know, is day two making the money? We're just trying to figure out how much ICM pressure we are, we're under or how close we are to those situations. And it, it's such a huge and important concept to think about with tournament poker is ICM pressure. Hmm. And when it's relevant, right? Because that's something that I think people need to bone up on a little as well. Even people that feel like they understand what ICM pressure is, there are some surprising points in the tournament where there really isn't any ICM pressure, even though it might feel like there is. Um, so that's something we should all be paying a little more attention to. And, and I think what's important about this is that we can be results oriented and then we think we played a hand wrong. So we mm. have to, so we post it or whatever we do and we talk to our friends about it because we're being results oriented about the hand and it's not really about whether we win or lose the hand. It's about if we make the right decision at the moment we make the decision. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very true. All right. Well, uh, I guess before we head out of here, I want to thank everyone for coming. I do have the best job in the world every week. I get to talk about poker with this amazing group. Um, it, it does take a group. It takes a village to uh, keep rec poker going and there's lots of ways that you, the listener, can help out for free. If uh, you'd like to um, rate or review the podcast, that would be really helpful. If you want to go to YouTube, and I do encourage our uh, listeners, go to YouTube and watch the videos of some of these. Instead, we have a ton of free videos that come out on YouTube. And um, if you subscribe, that helps us out a lot. If you go to rec.poker slash support, um, you can see some other ways to help chip in and keep us going. And uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, option as well. Uh, you know, we we run a pretty comprehensive website. We've got a lot of uh, cool things going on. They do cost money and we only charge $15 a month for a premium membership. So we do kind of rely on the support of our listeners and our members to, to help us keep everything going and to keep doing as much as we do over here. So I would encourage everyone, please just go to rec.poker slash support and find a way uh, to help out. It doesn't have to cost any money and you don't have to do it, but <laughs> uh, please do give that, uh, give that a try. And if there's, um, if you have any feedback or ways that we can improve, uh, ways that we can make the podcast better, some of our other free learning opportunities, ways to improve those, just email me, jim at rec.poker and let me know what I can do to make your poker journey uh, more pleasant and uh, we can all learn together. So thank you to Chris, Rob, Kim, John, and Taylor, my man Dave in the chat, and of course, Jim Gibber. Uh, thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. <laughs>